Welcome to the Passel Podcast CMO Series. Welcome to the CMO Series Podcast. Today's topic is leading innovation in law firms. From the outside, the legal industry might seem slow to change, but for those working within or alongside law firms, there are constant innovations driving the industry forward. Uh, today's guest has been right at the center of that innovation, and we're excited to welcome Michael Hertz, CMO of White and Case, uh, uh, to the CMO series to discuss innovation and how le- leaders in law firms can approach it successfully. Michael, welcome to the series. Thanks, Ed, and thanks for asking me to participate. Absolutely. We've spoken before uh, a couple of times, and um, I know a little bit about your background, but for the benefit of, of our listeners, uh, what were the steps on your journey to become a CMO uh, and specifically getting to that role at White and Case? And how do you think maybe the previous roles have influenced how you approach innovation within your current role? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a little bit of a long and winding road, so I'll try to I'll try to be quick. But um, so I grew up at Latham in New York uh, um, out of law school. So I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Um and was a litigator at Latham. It was back when, in the late 80s, when Latham was just getting going in New York. Um, most people will know that Latham was originally a big LA firm and then went national and then ultimately went international. Um, and I was also very involved in pro bono as I was growing up there um, and very interested in pro bono. And in the early 90s, I took a leave of absence to explore how the new web tools could be, that were just emerging, could be used to connect all of the pro bono lawyers together and connect the lawyers to the opportunities uh, to do pro bono work. Um, You know, there's a whole ecosystem around the New York legal market, but the country as a whole kind of that we're actively trying to, you know, recruit, train, monitor uh, volunteer lawyers doing work in the um, public interest sector. Um, and I thought it was gonna be a relatively short leave of absence. George Soros gave us some money um, and we ended up starting a nonprofit organization called Pro Bono Net, uh, which is, I'm still on the board of, and the organization is still extremely active in the uh, nonprofit legal sector in the US. And they, you know, they use, basically they work collaboratively with a whole network of hundreds of organizations, state courts, et cetera, to increase access to justice and to use technology to increase access to justice more specifically. Um, And it was very much a startup. I mean, uh, I didn't make millions of dollars because it was a nonprofit, but but it was very much a startup from scratch. And and, uh, certainly one of the most innovative things I've done is to start up that organization and, uh, and lead it for a number of years. Um, and really all of my experience in marketing at least came from, you know, from doing pro bono net, because if you didn't raise the money, the organization didn't survive and the employees didn't eat. Um, so it was really important you had to raise the money, you had to go out and pitch a lot. So, um, so I, I learned a lot, you know, branding, all, all of the various aspects of marketing you had to kind of do, you had to kind of do yourself. Um, and then, um, in 2005, I went back into big law firms primarily because I had young children and they had to, speaking of having to feed them, I had to, I had to feed them. My wife was, um, or is a, a human rights activist. So we decided I had more potential to go back and make 
make more money. So I went back into big law firms, but not as a lawyer. So I went to Freshfields as the chief knowledge officer and then took on the marketing function as well. And then in 2010, I moved over to White and Case as the chief marketing officer and now also have the knowledge function. Um, so uh, twice now I've had both those uh, underneath my umbrella. Um, so, and I, you know, ideally both those functions work really well together. I think in many ways they work together a lot um, just in the normal course of the business, um, but getting them to collaborate even more effectively around innovation, I think is a, is a real opportunity. I can talk about that later. Um, how did that journey impact my approach to innovation? I think, um, you know, since I've started in the, in the legal sector, you know, as a young lawyer, I mean, there's been tremendous change in the way uh, the services are delivered. Um, I always tell people that when I started at Latham, they had a box of stationery and a dictaphone on my desk. Uh, they didn't give us a personal computer, which we found a little bit astonishing. Um, so it's good. It's changed a lot since then. Um, and, uh, there's been, you know, not, not, you know, because the legal industry necessarily has been innovating, but they've been adapting to the new technology, which has taken over, right. Uh, the world basically, um, uh, but it has changed tremendously the way lawyers work. Uh, so the idea that lawyers can't figure out new ways of working, I think is not, is kind of not true. Um, uh, lawyers can, uh, can change and have changed over the course of my career. Um, second, you can innovate because I did it because of the work I did on pro, pro, pro bono net. I mean, um, there's a, you know, you don't need tremendous resources to innovate, right? Very small kind of investments can, um, generate lots of change. Um, so sometimes I think at big law firms, you always think, oh, we've got to like, you know, move this big ship, you know, yeah. in this different direction. But actually, I think a lot of the changes are relatively small changes and can be done with relatively small investments. Um, and then I think the other thing is a lot of innovation does come from borrowing ideas from other sectors. So when we were doing pro bono net, there was just to give an example of that. When we were doing pro bono net, um, the community that we were working with was like, okay, great that you're linking all the lawyers together, but can we actually provide information out to the public, low income, other vulnerable populations about their, like where they go for help, or if they can't, if there's no lawyer for them, can they help themselves? Um, through legal education materials and doing things online that can uh, help them navigate the system. Um, and we felt pretty worried about whether we could do that effectively, right? Um, and so one of the things that we put in place, which still exists on the site is, you know how if like you go to a consumer, consumer site and the little chat pops up and says, hey, can I help you? Yeah. So they do that now on on the on the sites that ProBonoNet has that are publicly facing, so that somebody can help the person navigate um, through the site. Because no matter how usable it is, there's still you know some real tech literacy issues and other literacy issues and multilingual issues that you have to tackle. So I mean, again, I mean, not like a new innovation, but it was just taking something from another, you know, from kind of the consumer website world and, and trying to use it in the nonprofit context. So I think a lot of times if you're kind of scanning what's happening in the larger tech and innovation world, you can find some good ideas and apply them within your firm. Um, so those are, I guess, three, three things I would point to. Brilliant answer um, and, and more in depth than I was possibly expecting, I think. <laughs> okay. um, I told and, you it was a long journey. 
<laughs> but but an interesting one nonetheless because uh, and and you said innovating with the technology that's that's also um uh, been been coming along the way that's changed a hell of a lot since since yeah, yeah. you first started so there's a there's big changes just from the technology alone uh, you mentioned your time at freshfields and uh, and i know you had the uh, the knowledge function uh, on the law side of uh, on the legal side there and it's now part of your current remit as well as CMO. How does the combination of those two roles work in practice uh, in regard to to the firm's approach to innovation? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's often the case, right, that um, that the solutions to our clients' pain points, right, are 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 the solution is a combination of some change in process. Uh, content. So it could be content from the knowledge team or it could be content from our research team. I have both those now underneath me. Um, and, you know, and some technology, maybe some alternative resourcing. So it's kind of, you know, um, in many cases, you've got all these different approaches and resources, but it's kind of putting them together in a new way, right, that addresses the problem, right? So, um, I don't know. So if you're building, you know, some sort of, you know, decision tree tool on how to navigate, I don't know, CFIUS or something, which is kind of investment, you know, kind of regime in the U.S. that protects, you know, certain sensitive assets from foreign investment. Um, and you want to put that up on the website, right? It's a combination of technology, the knowledge function, lawyers, all kind of contributing to that. So it helps to have um, those teams all working together um more closely um so that we can draw on those different resources that we need to solve the problem um so i, I do think there you know there is a very i mean there's a close day-to-day -day relationship you know between the two teams um and it's just kind of bringing them more closely together around the innovation agenda so i think it's a pretty natural thing yeah and something that stuck out for me right at the beginning of that when you at the beginning of that answer sorry you said um you know, the solutions to your clients uh needs or your clients problems which is is key yeah um, one of the, yeah. the the things that maybe gets forgotten too easily it's uh it's the best thing to focus on honestly yeah or what the clients are looking for uh that can drive a lot of good stuff happening on the innovation front do you think there's a a way for you to describe your firm's approach to innovation or, or maybe give an example of it is it too in depth, or is it easy to, no, 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 to describe? No, examples. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, just like we just were discussing, right? I think um, for me, it's like listening to the clients, right? So we do a lot in the mar in the marketing business development function. We do a lot of client listening. We do a lot of client feedback as part of our current strategy. We're trying to ramp that up even more, be even more comprehensive with the feedback that we get. So, um, and, you know, and on our big relationships, we have a team that's organized around that relationship that's really close, hopefully very close to the client. Um, so you're getting a lot of like info, right, about what's the, what's happening with the client, what, like, what are the things they're struggling with in-house, what are the things that they would like to see between the two organizations happening better. Um, so I think that listening to the clients is really the North Star of innovation, um, it makes sure that whatever you're doing is very rooted in kind of client delivering kind of value to the client, as opposed to just making up stuff and hoping that somebody will like it. Um, so I think that's really the, the, the approach we try to take. And a couple of examples would be like, 
um, it's kind of astonishing how much pain and agony e-billing causes, right? So on both sides. <laughs> so it's an area where on our big relationships, we tend to spend a little time trying to figure out how to make it less painful for everybody. Um, so there's just some basic kind of steps that we try to take now to iron out the, you know, the, the process and make it less painful for everybody. Um, so that's, that's a, a very good example of kind of a pain point for both us and for the client. Um, we have like a, we see a lot of in our big relationships where the in-house, like the general counsel is struggling to kind of just stay on top of everything we're doing for them. Um, so, you know, we've, we've created some really nice dashboards that can like the, where the, where the, um, general counsel can see all the matters that are happening, who's working on them, like, you know, um, roughly how much is being spent, um, at any given time. So again, you know, clients often say law firms are kind of rubbish at communicating with them about where things stand and what the costs are. Right. I mean, so anything you can do to address that is, you know, valued by the client tremendously. It's like one of their kind of, I would say their most frequent um, complaints about the big law firms. Um, and I think there's some simple things you can do to address that. Another area is like just, you know, we do a lot of big cross-border work and both on the dispute side and on the uh, transactional side. Um, and we often have to employ local counsel, right? That are not part of our firm, right? But our uh, people we've worked with in the past so that whole process of identifying the local council you're going to work with, onboarding them, getting them to work together on an assignment, right? Um, we're trying to work through kind of that whole process and make that a much easier, smoother experience. And there's a lot of things through collaboration technology and other things we can do where, you know, that whole group of law firms that are working for the client on that cross-border matter can be collaborating and sharing information and uh, the client can go in there and see where what, see where things stand and comment on documents, and so that that I think is a, an area that we're looking at. So that's uh, again has come out of like a number of different like we were sitting there looking at like a couple of different experiences we were having with clients where it was like why is this like why is this so clunky you know, and so we've been trying to make it less clunky. So I'm sure that there's probably some of the listeners uh, listening into to what you have just said and, and nodding yeah. as well, being like that. Yeah, yeah. They they have the same pain points. Um, yeah, but they, yeah, they are. But the clients, yeah, the, I think the client drives the innovation stuff. I mean, it really helps drive yeah. the message within the front too. With with uh, innovations happening in so many different areas along the way, how can the leaders of of the firm, including yourself, um, how can they ensure that it's cohesive? And it is of benefit to the firm. I'm sure that there are some along the right. way that don't work out, but how is it best practice to, to figure out that, that they are cohesive and they are yeah. beneficial? Yeah, I mean, it's a struggle, um, honestly. And um, the thing we've, we're trying now is to have a defined innovation committee um, that oversees um, the whole portfolio of, of innovation work that we're doing across the firm. So, you know, a lot of times, like, I, I don't know, the America's M&A group will kick off something, right, which won't be necessarily visible to anybody outside the America's M&A group. Um, so we're trying to kind of have some oversight and support for those different innovative efforts 
that are happening across the firm have visibility over what they're doing, what they're trying? Are they using, are they learning from other practices that have tried something similar? Um, so, um, so we're, so we're, the committee is basically helping um, make sure that kind of existing tools and existing things that people are, are pursuing at the practice level are shared and are connected to each other and get some support from the center. Um, obviously we're trying to stay very like kind of engaged with what's happening at the client level. And then um, I think we're also trying to have a, you know, a central point of intake on new ideas. So, and it might be a new idea that, you know, um, doesn't belong in the innovation committee, right? It should be done by the IT department or, right? But we'd like people to, if they've got an idea about how to improve something to come to that central intake point and let us figure out whether, is it really a new idea? Um, is it something that would really have an impact and deliver value for the larger firm? Or is it just something like a single partner wants to do um, on their own to improve their life, right? Um, so, we have a process for kind of evaluating, right? Those those new ideas, make sure they have the right setup and support, and ultimately whether we're going to invest in something new, right? Which could be acquiring some new tool that's out in the market that we don't have, or it could be building something new where there's just no solution, right? So, so we've got a we've got a the committee now has a process for making sure that all happens in a coherent way. And you mentioned just then uh, staying engaged with the client. Do you? Uh, do, do clients ever come to you with specific capabilities uh, that they're requesting or are they quite more a bit more general in, in what their requirements are? Both. It's both, honestly. Okay. Yeah. So it happens a lot of different ways. So in some cases, we're like going to them saying, hey, you know, we've got this new thing that we could do together. Let's try it on this next matter. Right. Let's use a piece of technology that might make it better and uh, more efficient. Um, so we might be coming to them with some ideas. Um, and then in some cases, the client will be like very specific, like, you know, do you use this search engine? <laughs> right? um, uh, or do you know anything about this document management system, right? Or like a very specific question that they're obviously wrestling with and want some help on. Um, and we'll try to, if we, if we do have any expertise, we'll try to share that with them. Um, and then sometimes it's a much more vague kind of, we're struggling with, um, developing our knowledge management system internally. Right. And it's like, okay, well, what's that mean? So you have to spend some time with them and figure out what it is that's really driving that and whether we're, you know, well situated to solve that or help them solve it. So, um, sometimes it takes a little work to really figure out what the problem is that they're trying to solve, but, um, so it comes in a lot of different ways, honestly. Is there a, would you say that there's a preference between the two? Is it easier to have more specific requirements than than a broader uh, search? Well, I think you always would like it to be very specific, right? But yeah, I think in many cases, we we have a little bit of a mantra, which is kind of what's the problem, right? As opposed to what's the solution. Um, often we jump, I think, as lawyers, but also as, as uh, innovators to solutions um and i think you first need to spend a little time really making sure you understand the problem yeah. that you're solving for so we try to pause and uh and um, just have that conversation I, I thought that might be the answer but i wanted to give you the option just in case yeah yeah 
when we spoke uh, previously before the before the podcast, you took us through a progression from the early stages of of innovation to then scaling that across the firm and creating it more as a, a firm wide innovation. What do you think are the main challenges in scaling innovations within a firm? I guess there are several. I mean, I guess knowledge is one, right? So do people, you know, I mean, we have lots of great tools uh, and people don't know about them. So there's a big, a big educational camp, you know, kind of element to this, which is like, make sure everybody understands what's available, who to talk to about, you know, using those tools. Um, so we're right now we're like really trying to make sure that the practices in particular know kind of what tools are available in our, you know, in our suite and like what they could be doing. So we're working very closely with the practices around that. Um, I think the other thing is just to avoid getting bogged down. It goes to that back to that point that you don't need to necessarily make these huge investments um, to drive innovation. Like make sure you get quick wins, can demonstrate some progress. Um, you know, try not to just get totally bogged down in some massive complex thing that that's going to take years to solve. Um, you need a decision making mechanism. Um, when we first kind of were working at this about six months ago to put the committee together, people were like, well, do we have enough ideas, right? Do we have enough, like, anyway, do we have enough ideas to come keep you busy? And uh, we are not having a problem with new ideas. Um, so the question is, is, you know, can we say no to the ones that don't make sense? And can we say yes and invest in the ones that make sense, right? So it's like that in a, in a, in a you know, big law firm, like that can be tricky, like who makes the decision? Mm -hmm. And so I think we have worked out that we're still kind of seeing how it works in practice, but we wanted to clarify the decision-making process. And then, you know, lawyers are busy, right? So you have to be a little bit careful. The last challenge is just prioritizing um, uh, because you have to be sensitive to the lawyers, like, you know, ability to digest new, like how many new ways of th doing things can they absorb at one time? So I think you need to be very, you know, careful not to drive too much change and make sure that some of the things you're trying to do are really like get really embedded um, before you move on to the next thing. You you have a little bit of insider knowledge having started off as yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. as a lawyer yeah, yourself. Yeah. So you kind of know that operational part bef before you got to, to where you are. Uh, final sort of getting towards the end of the, the, the recording now, but um, when and how do you think a firm should try to build its re reputation within the market as a um, an innovative service provider? It's probably quite a long-winded answer, but is is there a yeah, when yeah. and how that, that you're able to pinpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, right now we're focused, really focused internally on uh, getting people to understand what we're trying to do, like what's the innovation committee doing, like what is our mission, Again, going back to that thing of like, we've got a bunch of really exciting tools already, like making sure everybody understands what those are, right? So I think, you know, you need to kind of nail the hearts and minds of the people internally first. So, okay. you know, if you tell like a young lawyer you're trying to recruit that we're like this really massively innovative culture and then they arrive and they're like, this doesn't seem very innovative. Okay. You know, that doesn't work very well. Or you go out and tell a client we're like super innovative. But then the partner team that's working with the client doesn't like understand like what that means, right? Yeah. And kind of put in an awkward position or something. Like, well, we saw it on your website. Like, tell us more about that. Um, so we need to do make sure that the 
internally, people understand how to talk about it. Right. I mean, yep. it's not that different from like if you're, I don't know, an MA lawyer and your client says, oh, we've got this like potential dispute. You may not be an expert on disputes. Right. But, you know, like, oh, there are people internally at the firm who can come talk to you about that. Let me bring in another partner right from the disputes group. It's similar here. Right. So if a client raises something about like, you know, is there a way we can do this more efficiently or can we do you have any tools that help us collaborate more effectively? The partner doesn't have to know the specific answer to that, but know that we have stuff that we can deploy and people that we can deploy to help do that, right? So I think it's um, right now we're very much focused on that internal piece before we, you know, start blasting out our uh, how innovative we are externally. But I think it's increasingly important. We see it in almost every pitch we do. Um, we do talk about it a lot with clients kind of one-on-one, -on -one, um, but it's very much targeted you know to the client and mm -hmm. uh and uh, we think we have a compelling story but it's uh but it's not like something we're uh you know that we're uh like putting on the website and making statements that are uh too grand at the moment now uh we've got to the end of the the podcast where yeah. we do a quick fire round um, right. slightly different to the topic that we've just been covering um, but uh, if you're ready to go, what uh, what's your favorite business and non-business book? Uh, business, David Meister, The Trusted Advisor, um, which is probably, you know, the Bible of, you know, building uh, trusted advisor relationships. Um, so I love that book. I think it's like a, something every BD person should read. Um I think it's been mentioned before as well. And probably every partner. <laughs> uh, and then non, non-business would be, uh, uh, there are these books by William Manchester on Churchill, who I, which I love. Okay. I'll, I've jotted, jotted his name down, so I'll have to have check him out. Um, what was your first job? wasn't my first job, but it was my first union job. Okay. was when I was growing up in Northwest Indiana as a high schooler. Uh, um, uh, a lot of the people in the town worked in the steel mills up in the northwest corner of Indiana, uh, Gary, Indiana, which is where the Jackson 5 came from, which is where most people know Gary, Indiana from, but it was a big steel mill area. Um, and I worked in the number two blast oxygen furnace for a couple of uh, summers, which was the name. It's as, it was as scary a place as the name would suggest. <laughs> it was like you know, flames and flaming steel flying all over wow. the place. So. But you got paid like a United Steelworker wages, mm -hmm. right? Which was a great job as a high school student. Yeah, so that was uh, not without risk, maybe, but but no, 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 good no, pay. No, couldn't, couldn't get hurt. <laughs> uh, what makes you happy at work? Having a great team. Yeah, yeah, it's a great team, and uh, and uh, you know, lots of different types of skill sets, right? From creative to technology to lawyers to you know, um, you know, media relations. I mean, it's a very diverse set of skills and, um, and it's a very big team. And it's, I think we've got a great senior leadership team within the, within the group. So it's fun to, fun to work with them. Good answer. What is it that you're listening to at the moment? Be that a, a podcast or maybe a specific music artist or an audio book? Yeah. My favorite podcast is um, called the knowledge project i don't know if you've ever heard of it mm. um it's um it's uh it's run by a guy named shane parish 
And he has a website that's also worth checking out, which is called um, Farnham Street. Okay. And it's a, basically a collection of, you know, um, books and thinking across all sorts of areas of leadership and um, finance and various other things. He's a very kind of quirky guy, but he's got a, quite a following. It costs about a hundred bucks a year, I think. Okay. Join the site. And Farnham Street refers to the street in Omaha, Nebraska, where Berkshire Hathaway is headquartered. And he's a bit obsessed with Buffett and uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, in the way he thinks. Um, but his podcast is great because he just interviews these amazing thinkers and thought leaders across all these different areas from like sleep to, you know, leadership development to um, just, he just, he attracts a lot of really interesting people to have conversations with. So I would check that out. I have written that down as well. So I've I've really great. Got to check that one out after this as well. Uh, Where is your favorite place to visit and why? London. Okay. Good choice. I lived there for a number of years and have great friends there and I love the city um so i love uh i love london if if i'm not going to live in new york i would want to live in london and in terms of a place to visit would be paris and um i don't think i need to explain why it's obvious (laughs) both of them are great choices i lived in london for nine years so i'm i would back you up on that decision as well Yeah. yeah and we always finish off the podcast with a question which is uh, what would be your one piece of advice for others looking to be successful in, um, for, for your example, in leading innovation within law firms? Yeah, stay really focused on your clients, um, what's causing them pain, and then help them reduce the pain, right? So I think it's really, it, it gets pretty simple if you kind of really stay focused on the clients. Um, and I, I mean, there's just so many examples of clients driving change within law firms. So if you're, you know, there has to be a change um, in terms of mindset and culture. Um, and in many cases, the client, the clients can really help you drive that. I think that's a fantastic answer as it circles back to something you pinpointed really early on uh, in, in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's key. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to have yeah. you on the CMO series. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll keep in touch, of course. And uh Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Ed. Thank you.